This episode of Tales from the Trunk contains several swear words. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bismiak's. On today's episode, we have Sarah Hollowell, also known as Other Sarah. Uh, I've known Other Sarah since Other Sarah and I started tormenting them with sad Hamilton facts on Twitter some years ago. Oh, yeah. Sarah Hollowell, welcome to the show! Hi, thanks. (laughs) I feel like we knew each other before sad Hamilton facts, but time is completely fake. Time is completely fake. Listeners, you heard it here first. Time is a lie. (laughs) A complete lie. I have no idea how long we've known each other. Eternal. Some internet time. Yeah. We both know that both Sarahs are are eternal. Yes. That is true. I am never going to die. It's a fact. Uh, Sarah Hollowell is a writer and cat haver. We may or may not be hearing Podrick or Carlos on this recording, and I may or may not be able to edit it out afterwards. <laughs> They're going to try to behave. They'll try. They'll try. Sarah, you're going to be reading several emails regarding a ceiling fan and a new kitten, is that correct? It sure is. All right. And is there anything you want to tell us about this story before we go in, go into the reading? Um... Not necessarily. I think it it stands alone pretty well. It's basically just kind of a really self-indulgent short story that I wrote actually pretty soon after I adopted Carlos. Fantastic. There's some definite... When I was rereading it for the first time in forever, I was like, okay, so this is just me writing about kind of myself and my cat. (laughs) But okay, pre- so we have self-insert fanfic of your kitten. <laughs> yeah, and it's literally like my old apartment where I adopted him, but the kitten in this is also clearly based off of my ex's cat, who was my boyfriend at the time. So it's it's really just me writing about my own life at the time, except with shadow monsters. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> this is several emails regarding a ceiling fan and a new kitten. Did I tell you I got a kitten? I know what you're thinking. Who let me have a pet? I can barely take care of myself, right? You'll totally bring up the fact that I did laundry a week ago, but still haven't put my clothes away, and that I've ordered pizza six times in the last two weeks. And it won't be fair of you to say that, but you'll do it anyway. And you'll say it means I can't have a cat. But it was fate, okay? I found him in the Meyer parking lot with half his little tail bitten off by, I don't know, a dog or something? And I couldn't just leave him. Yeah, yeah, why not take him to a shelter? I couldn't, because the kitten and I formed a bond. And also remember the fate thing. And you're going to say that's ridiculous, and I'm going to call you an unromantic dipshit, and you're going to turn that funny red color, don't deny it, I've seen it on Skype. So let's just skip that part and go back to the beginning. Did I tell you I got a kitten? His name is Edwin. I know, not your favorite name ever since that incident with that violent third grader, but it's his name. He's a tortoiseshell, all mottled brown and black with this big orange splotch smeared across his face like he got spit on by a pumpkin. When he's feeling playful, his stumpy tail goes whap, whap, whap against the nearest surface. He's super sweet, but also kind of, I don't know, weird. 
I know that cats are weird to start with, but I think Edwin might be especially weird. I can deal with the random bouts of hyperactivity that sent him charging around the apartment. It was funny when I lost him for two hours only to find him asleep inside the couch. That's just kitten stuff, right? The thing that gets me is the -the glow-in-the-dark eyes. I wake up every night at 4.13am exactly to him sitting on my chest, licking my eyelids. That could still be normal weird cat behavior, but then he stares at me with these glowing blue eyes. Seriously blue and seriously glowing like some spice must flow shit. This may be my first cat, but I don't think their eyes usually go from normal and green to glowing and blue. But then he curls up and starts purring like a rusty motorboat, and it's easy to forget the freaky eyes and just love him. I know you think I'm the last person that should be taking care of a living animal, but at least I'm not alone anymore, right? In other news, my ceiling fan is making noises. It creaks so loudly when it's on that I'm considering buying a standing fan just to make it through the summer, or until I get maintenance in here, whichever comes first. But when it's off, I don't know. Maybe it's dust settling or flies landing, but when it's off, I sometimes hear whispers. The shadows are deeper around it, too. Not shades of gray, but black as coal. I shined a flashlight up there, and I swear the shadows flinched. I'd brush that off as my overactive imagination, but Edwin's been growling at it a lot. I keep trying to tell myself that he's just posturing in defiance of the blades of Skycat, but I think there may really be something wrong with my ceiling fan. Okay, listen, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to blame me, but I need you not to do that, okay? Okay. Edwin is missing. I thought he was just hiding in the couch again, but it's been 25 hours. He couldn't have gotten out. I've been in full hermit mode for like three days. I haven't even opened the door. I know, I know, I've had a kitten for a week and I've already lost him, but hear me out. I think something is happening. I think I've stepped into the twilight zone. Here's the thing. Edwin is missing, and there's an egg in my living room. Like an ostrich egg, but blue and humming. Are they supposed to hum? It just appeared yesterday, and it's right next to my TV. I'm scared to touch it, but also the humming is really distracting when I'm trying to watch Top Chef. And you know Top Chef is the only thing that calms me down when I'm stressed out. So my cat's gone, and there's a mysterious egg, and I know it sounds crazy, but I think he's in the egg. Before you ask, yes, I'm taking my medication. And also, wow, rude, because not every mental illness results in hallucinations and paranoia. And even if that's the kind of illness I had, it wouldn't change the fact that there's something in my ceiling and my cat is an egg. It wouldn't change the fact that I have to figure out what the hell to do about this. Just wish me some luck. Just wish me some luck, okay? The whispering is louder now, and Edwin is still in that egg. I don't know how these two things are connected, but I know they are. I've started sleeping in the living room because the voice from the fan keeps me up. I tried playing music, but when the whisper, but then the whispering comes through in the bass. I tried earplugs, but it only made the voices louder. Sometimes I think I can see the shadows dripping from the ceiling, threatening to fall right on me. The flashlight doesn't make them flinch anymore. Out on the couch, I can fall asleep. The humming from the egg is actually soothing. 
but I have the most awful nightmares, all dark, empty rooms and stairs I can't climb because my legs are too heavy to move, and attempted screams that come out as rasping breaths even I can barely hear. I had this thought that maybe if I put the egg in the sun, Edwin would emerge sooner. Eggs are supposed to like heat, right? But I still don't want to touch it. I can't explain why, I just know that I can't touch it. So I dug out my space heater, plugged it in, and shoved the couch to the other side of the room because I forgot how crazy good that space heater is at, well, heating up a space. And it's July. I think Edwin Egg needs the heat, but I sure don't. You're probably worrying about me. You're too kind, and you'll say I can stay at your place. I know you will. You'll even help me pay for the plane ticket. I hope you understand that I can't accept... It'll only make things worse, and anyway, I have to wait for Edwin. You get that, right? I couldn't sleep the other night. If I fell asleep, I'd have those nightmares, and I couldn't face that, not for another night. So I laid on the couch and cried. Shit has been really messed up, and I've been going with it, but I was seriously freaked out, you know? My apartment is supposed to be my safe space. I didn't want to leave, didn't want to go outside, but I didn't want to stay here with the nightmares and the creepy ceiling fan. There was nothing I could do, and I was paralyzed. I stared at the ceiling and listened to the hum of the Edwin egg until it got so loud I couldn't hear anything else. Not the whispering fan, not the steady whir of the space heater, not the anxiety in my head murmuring every failure, every humiliation since kindergarten, not the thrumming of my heart in my chest. The humming filled me until I thought I'd burst, and then... It sang. The egg sang me to sleep, and I slept for over a day. I started this email as soon as I woke up. I hope you didn't worry about me. I didn't have nightmares or really any dreams at all, and when I woke up, is this what it feels like to actually be awake? I'm brimming with energy. I might actually open a window. For the first time, as long as I can remember, I don't have even the echo of a headache. And the egg? It hatched while I slept. It's laying in cold, cracked pieces on the floor next to me. A broken egg, but no Edwin. I don't know where he is yet. Wait, I hear something. BRB, I'll email again after I check this out. Well, that escalated quickly. I'm sending this email from my closet. There's a lot of shrieking on the other side of the door, and I'm pretty sure the only reason my neighbors haven't called the police is because my frequent horror movie marathons have made them used to screams from my apartment. And I know you're calling me, by the way. I have my phone. It's vibrating like crazy. I have like seven voicemails from you, and I am so sorry, but I just can't answer. It turns out that life or death situations don't cure phone anxiety. Text me? Okay, I guess I should back up. Explain. Also, it sounds like my bookcase just toppled. Man, I spent forever alphabetizing that. I know cats are supposed to be messy, but geez. So, last you knew, I was checking out a weird sound, right? It was growling. Edwin's growling, but deeper. Way deeper. Less the growling of a tiny kitten, and more the growling of the earth itself. It was coming from my room. That's when the shrieking started. I always thought that if I was in a horror movie situation like this, I'd be smarter than the usual characters. I wouldn't go towards danger. I'd run the fuck away. But all I could think was that Edwin was fighting something, and I know I only had him for a week before he went into that egg, but I fell in love with him. He's my cat. 
He sang me to sleep and I was scared and alone. I couldn't just leave him. So I went against all of those survival instincts that humans are supposed to have and I ran to my bedroom. Edwin seems to have become a tortoiseshell panther. He's still missing half his tail and he still has that orange splotch on his face, but that's mostly where the similarities end. That panther could not fit in my lap and Edwin did not have claws that terrifyingly huge. He did occasionally have glowing blue eyes, but not the kind that seared into you like a brand. Also pretty sure that Edwin couldn't have taken on a small army of shadow beasts. Because that's what's been living above my ceiling fan. There's a pretty big hole in my ceiling now, and when I came into my room, there were just shadows pouring out of it, and they have teeth. A lot of really sharp teeth. Their bodies, if you can call them bodies, are kind of shiny, like the exoskeleton on a scorpion, and they're shrieking, like I'd imagine death's pale horse to shriek. A smart person would have run away, and I'd like to think I'm pretty smart, so I was preparing to do just that. Edwin seemed to be doing fine without me, but the shadows had already seen me, and one of them jumped me, and Edwin tackled it, but it still got a chance to bite me, and then they're fighting and blocking the door, and there's all this darkness and teeth, and I just ran for the closet and got in and slammed the door, and it's not like I thought that would work, but it is, and I don't know why, and I should feel safe, but I don't. I used one of my shirts to wrap around my arm when the shadow bit me, and now I'm emailing you and praying that shadows aren't like werewolves or zombies. I do feel feverish and my heart is pounding, but that could just be fear and adrenaline. Or it could be the bite, which hurts like hell, by the way, and it's still bleeding. Edwin was bitten by something when I found him, and he's fine. Maybe I'll be fine, too. The skin around the bite is turning black. I never thought I'd be live-blogging my own probable death. Wait. The shrieking stopped. The growling, too. It's all just quiet now. I'm starting to feel a little dizzy. Half my arm is black. I touch the edges of the wound and the skin is hard. Is that a rusty motorboat purr I hear outside the door? My legs feel so heavy. I'm going to hit send and try to crawl out of the closet, okay? Don't worry. My kitten will protect me. The end. Aww! <laughs> I know! I actually forgot how much how I like that ending. <laughs> that so that story is super sweet and the ending is wonderful and that's like entirely your aesthetic. I someone who is one of my Patreon supporters pointed out that my aesthetic is like spooky cat things, <laughs> which is really true because I think about half of the stories on my Patreon are stories about spooky things happening and also cats are there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a worthwhile brand. And usually the cats, are, like, I don't I don't write about spooky things, like, happening necessarily to the cats or the cats being hurt or anything. It's more like, it's spooky. There's spooky and there's cats. And there's cats. Because I just, I can't imagine a life without cats, I guess. That's fair. Listeners, if you have never seen any of Sarah's Twitter posts, there are frequent pictures of Carlos and... Podrick. 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 Yeah. Like Game of Thrones. Yeah. And Carlos the Scientist Kitty, like Night Vale. Yep. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure that out, and then I was like, oh. Yeah. It's because he's beautiful with perfect fur, and I fell in love instantly. 
That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. So you already said, you know, a little bit about several emails regarding a ceiling fan and a new kitten, but you know, when did you uh, like when did you write the story? So I think it would have been. It was definitely when I was in college. Um, I want to say probably around five five years ago five or six must have been five because i already had carlos um and he's turning six this year so i wrote it pretty soon after i adopted carlos and i don't even i think it was just that like carlos and um, my roommate's cat always looked at my ceiling fan really weird (laughs) and it just kind of formed from there and i just kind of wrote it because i thought it was fun if i remember correctly i was kind of in a bit of like a slump at the time with writing um, because I was in college for creative writing and you would think that means that you write more but mostly it means that you write assignments more. That is a huge (laughs) mood. That is the biggest mood. You don't actually work on your own writing quite that much Um, and I I can't remember if I I can't remember if I wrote it for any specific reason like if I wrote it thinking of submitting or I know that um, I've actually read this story many times um, at like readings because I used to do that in college uh, so I don't know if I wrote it for one of those I can't really remember I just wanted to write a kind of spooky story about my cat that's a perfect reason <laughs> you said you weren't. You're not sure if you wrote it for submitting, but I'm assuming it has some submission history in its past. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is, what was the point where you decided, ah, this this just goes in the trunk for right now? Yeah, so I checked my submission history, my spreadsheet, and I submitted this one four times, and it looks like it got multiple personal rejections. I think the one that kind of made me reconsider was one where someone said that they really liked it and it was really cute, but it reminded them a lot of something Neil Gaiman had written. And I wasn't sure what they were referring to, but I was deeply paranoid about this after that. I was like, oh shit, did I plagiarize a Neil Gaiman story I've never read? (laughs) Um, I I mean, I, I am in general, but especially at the time, was just real sensitive to like people saying that my stuff reminded them of other stuff Mm -hmm. even though like now i'm kind of coming around to that's fine actually as long as it's not actual plagiarism it can be good to be reminded of things but at the time i was like so insecure in my voice and all this stuff that it just freaked me out so i'm pretty sure that's when i decided to kind of let it go it seemed like it wasn't clicking with other people and i don't know if i was also just having so much fun reading it like at Mm -hmm. reading that I started to think maybe it works better in audio format anyway. And I just kind of put it aside and then several years later was in a very tight spot with my Patreon. I put up a short story every month and I was working on revisions and I didn't have anything so I dug this out and put it up. (laughs) Nice. Or I was working on drafting. Who knows? I was writing a book. I don't know. Yeah. You you wrote a big book last year. Like, that's a... takes a lot of brain space. It really does. And I don't think I really knew how much until I was doing it. I think that's like they will tell you they will tell you a lot of things 
listeners, there are a lot of air quotes happening here. (laughs) They will tell you a lot of things about writing, but they never tell you, hey, when you write a novel, it's going to eat your whole brain and you won't be able to do anything else. What's really great is that revising a novel for query will murder you. Like, I thought I knew how hard revising was until I was revising and thinking, oh, this isn't just going to go to my betas. This is going to go to agents. (laughs) Um, And then it became the most completely terrifying thing and daunting thing I've ever done. And I'm sure that right now I'm like, that's the worst thing I've ever done. But I'm sure that it, it... probably gets worse. I mean, I think you get to recalibrate the scale at every step along the way. That's usually how it goes. (laughs) Good news, it can always be worse. Yup. A friend actually... Very hopeful message here. A friend actually did comfort me when I was talking about how hard revisions were, where she was saying, this doesn't sound comforting, but there will be more revisions on this book once you have an agent and an editor. There will oh, there will be more revisions right until it's published. And she was like, that maybe sounds really daunting and like it's never going to end, but I find it comforting because it means that the book you send out to an agent or whoever has to be the best you can make it right now, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That is... I found that comforting. That does actually sound comforting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really helped. So can you talk a little bit about your overall submission process? You know, it's it's so different for every single person in terms of, like, where they submit, how many times they submit, if they have, you know, when, when they decide to trunk something, or if it's just, I will literally send this out to any place that has any possibility of putting it on a page. Yeah, basically... I tend to send stuff first to, like, my top choice market for that story. Mm-hmm. Just because, you never know, maybe Clark's World will accept me this time. <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they don't. But one day. And they get back to you quickly. They get back to you. So, yeah, so it's like, I actually, even though I would really like to be accepted by them someday, I find their submission like their response speed really useful because it's like ripping off the band-aid right you get yeah. that first rejection out of the way and then you can just keep going <laughs> um, just put it into the rejectomatic. yeah that's what it feels like but i as like so i i, I kind of do the whole beta revision process, send it out somewhere. I have a spreadsheet of my own that I keep everything in that I can keep also like notes in. I like to track, Mm -hmm. you know, if I get a personal rejection or a form rejection. And I also use Duotrope because I know the grinder is free, but I've been paying for Duotrope for so long. And uh I've been like, I've been using Duotrope basically since I first started submitting in 2010. And the idea of putting all of my submissions over into the grinder sounds exhausting so I'll just keep paying for Duotrope <laughs> well you can you can export from the grinder or from Duotrope into a CSV and then import it into the grinder well I didn't know that and that's dangerous but um... <laughs> I did in 2012 I paid for like one year of Duotrope when it went paid yeah and then I switched over to the grinder and I'd been like using them in parallel for a year at that point and then I was like you know well let's just go with the free one because I don't have money right now yeah no Duotrope is definitely one of those things that I, I I keep paying for and also keep paying for even though when I've been while I've been working on my book my short story like output has been 
real low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not even like really submitting right now. I have like one piece out that God, I hope they get back to me eventually. It's been like three <laughs> months, but to be fair, it's it's uh, it's the No Sleep podcast, and they have a lot of submissions. So yeah. I, it's my own impatience. They're doing fine, but Duotrope is also sometimes where I find markets. Like I obviously have the ones I already know and the ones I've already really wanting to try to get into but then eventually especially with stories that have been submitted a million times like my one that has been submitted like a dozen times or more i keep having to go in there and search for okay where is a magazine that publishes fantasy that does at least semi-pro rates eventually Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm going to have to like bump that down to token but i'm trying to at least get semi-pro rates for it so that's that's kind of how I find markets. Usually once everything else has stopped working. Yeah. And as far as for when I trunk something, it, it's so much based on gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a story that I consider trunked that I trunked after one submission, I think. Maybe two, but I think it was, only, it was one or two. Because I think... I got the same feedback from, I think it was too, because I got the same feedback from both where they said they thought it started slow. Mm-hmm. And to me, the kind of point of the story was the slow pace of it. Mm-hmm. And I could not for the life of me figure out if that was a valid style choice to keep or one that I should be reconsidering. Right. So I decided to, I guess it's not so much trunked as shelves, because I'd like to come back to it sometime. I just don't know if coming back to it is going to mean some revisions and submitting again, or cannibalizing the imagery that I love into something entirely new. Yeah. Whereas other stories, like my Queer Mermaid pet shop story (laughs) that has been... Which I love. I adore it. Thank you. So do I. So does basically everyone who has read it. I have submitted it. Except editors. Though they like it, but they're always just like, oh, it's not quite right for us. And it's like, it's it's kind of hard to place those kind of cutesy, cutesier Mm -hmm. stories. It's like, this has value and I love this story, but... I keep submitting it over and over again. I'm not giving up on it because I love this story and I know that once it finds the right place, other people are going to love it too. Yeah. Editors, editors, if you're listening to this podcast, just get at Sarah Hollowell. (laughs) It's a good story. You know, add her on Twitter. Be like, yo, I've got $300. Give me your cutesy mermaid story. I think it's worth $300. So, like, you know, yeah, so that one's been submitted over and over and over again to the point where I'm like, I don't know where to submit this anymore. But I still haven't chunked it. Right mm-hmm. now, it's it's it has, it's not out anywhere right now because I'm not sure where to send it. And also, I've been submitting it for so long that at this point, I feel like I need to kind of reread it and edit it a little because I wrote it, like, two or three years ago, and I'm a better writer mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. But I don't consider it chunked. Whereas, like, the other one, I do consider chunked. And it only got one or two rejections, so it all it's all so much based in just that gut feeling of, I think this one needs a break, or I think this one is not going anywhere. And sometimes, sometimes I know that when I'm writing it, because usually I don't finish a story that I have that feeling about, but sometimes I don't know until I've gotten rejections, and then it's like, okay, yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah, I was... I looked at my statistics just a minute ago, and my most rejected story has 30 submissions oh gosh and rejections on it 
and I eventually trunked it because, like, I liked the core idea of it, and I was invested in it for a long time, and I do feel that it's, like, you know, definitely much more of an atmosphere story. Like, I, I think I wrote it in 2012. Is this the Trash Pigeon story? No, that one's much newer and much... How I love many that does that have? I love that story. That's only, I think, in in the double digits, but low double digits. That's in okay. Si- that has 16. This is my, my first creepy dog story. And then first. I wrote another story that I was like, oh, this is, this gets at the same, like, the same twist, but it gets at it from a much more fun and, re- and like, a much punchier way. The first one was, like, 3,000 words of atmosphere leading up to Creepy Dog, and this one is, like, 1,200 words total. Nice. Um, And so, like, for me, I was like, oh, I'm gonna trunk this one because I have another story that's doing the same thing. But I totally get that, you know, it really is different for every single story. It really, really is. There's a flash piece I have that I don't know really know how to write flash fiction, and I've I say that as somebody who has sold two <laughs> pieces of flash fiction, but I have this flash story that I have like twenty eight submissions on, and I keep on sending it out because I'm just like I believe in this story. Right. It got to the point of almost being picked up by Shimmer back before they closed, <sighs> which is heartbreaking to me. Yeah, it's heartbreaking I had, to everyone. I had a similar thing happen. Sent in my last ditch at Shimmer and didn't quite get there yeah so one of one of the places where listeners may be familiar with your work already is your fantastic story crow's eye that's out in fireside from a couple of years ago yeah and you've got a a pretty good story around that submission process do you want to tell us about that Yeah, so what I find just, like, really cool for me about Crow's Eye is that I originally wrote it as my alpha submission, the Alpha Young Writers Workshop. It has a different, I don't know, it has a very long title. It has young writers in there, it has science fiction, fantasy, and horror in there, but it's the Alpha Workshop that -hmm. I went to twice as a teenager, and it was my submission story the second time around. And this was in 2010 is when I originally wrote it. And it was a whole other story back then. Um, It was kind of the same, Mm -hmm. but I think in in the original one, the protagonist was a boy. There was no mermaid in the lake. It was just, like, evil, dark presence nearby and very, like, vague stuff. Because one of my, I would say one of my, like, vices as a writer is that I like to make things real vague when I don't know what's going on. And try to pretend that I'm doing, like, atmospheric cool shit as if I'm, like, Jeff Vandermeer writing Annihilation. (laughs) (laughs) Like, trying to be like, if he can make shit weird and vague and annihilation i can do it too except (laughs) except it's not quite the same thing because he does it real well and i'm doing it because i'm lazy (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that was very much kind of like what that was like and i submitted it i think to one place that took over a year to get back to me um (laughs) jeez 
Yeah, and they rejected it. And then, although later they ended up soliciting me to reprint a poem of mine. So I thought that was cool. So I submitted it like twice in that form and then put it aside for years. Mm -hmm. And then I just finally came back to it because this was one of those stories where I was like, I believe in this story. I know it's good. I just need to find it. And I reworked it. Also at that time, I think when I was writing Crow's Eye, I had finally met other Sarah, Sarah Gailey. (laughs) And um, they had kind of become my critique partner because I once tweeted soon after we had met that I wanted a CP and they DM'd me like, what's a CP? (laughs) And then we were that. And other Sarah is like the best editor it's ridiculous. It's scary. It's really, really scary. They know exactly. I really, I'm like envious of their writing skills, but also of their like beta skills because yeah. they are so good at like reading a story and seeing it and seeing what you need. And they really helped me with Crow's Eye in that way. And I finally like, like I went at it by myself first and realized immediately that I wanted everyone to be a girl. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just like writing about girls. And because the reason it was originally a boy was actually because this whole lake and house is based off of a real lake and house where my best friend in high school lived. And oh, that was a super creepy lake. <laughs> but we would go hang out there all the time. And I like I can picture the whole thing perfectly in my head because I spent so much of high school there. And that friend was like super creepy, witchy face shit into all that and so I kind of wrote it for him at the time but when I came back to it it was way more for myself mm-hmm. but so I, I started submitting it again I think I submitted it to like Shimmer um, I submitted a couple other places and then finally I submitted it to Fireside and I really wanted them to take it because I was like I think this is a really good story <laughs> um mm-hmm. Like, I love this. And I especially, once I had edited it and once I had found, like, once I felt like I had really found the heart of it, I just felt like it was really good. And they agreed, which was really, really nice. Yay! (laughs) But I just think it's so, like, to me, it's so cool that, like, this was a story that I wrote, I think, six years originally before it was published. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even write it for submission at the time. I I mean, I technically did. It was an application, but not, like, publishing. And... I was able to eventually bring it back in a pretty different form. Uh, It's actually a world I want to write in more, to be honest. I have a kind of a sequel short story that I've written, but just haven't edited yet. Mm -hmm. I'll edit it one day. One day. (laughs) One day. (laughs) When people have forgotten that story exists entirely, I'll be like, (laughs) oh, by the way, I wrote a sequel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's really awesome. For listeners who have not yet read Crow's Eye... You should go and check it out for free on Fireside Fiction. Yeah. Uh, You can read it online right this very minute, and I will be including a link for that in the show notes when this episode goes up. And you can see the absolutely gorgeous illustration. Oh my god. And you got... That's a Galandara, right? Yeah. Oh my god. I was not expecting it. I had no idea until it was... like I'm pretty sure until it was published... Um, or maybe they sent it to me early. Who knows? It was a whirlwind. Um, yeah. But I was just blown away. I think it's still the background on my laptop. <laughs> it's gorgeous. That's legit. I I have I don't have any cover art of my own from her, but I definitely have other people's art as like one of my rotating backgrounds on my laptop. She's incredible. She's 
fantastic. Yeah. It's so interesting to me how stories can evolve over time and, like, find the form that they're meant to take. Yeah. And sometimes it's that you need to level up yourself, and sometimes it's that you need somebody else, like, a fresh set of eyes, and sometimes... I mean, usually I think it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, I'm actually experiencing that with the new book that I'm working on while my other book is in Query Hell. Um, (laughs) I've started a new project, and it's actually a book that is a form of a book I originally started writing four or five years ago. And it has gone through so many forms. It was like post-apocalyptic it started okay let me put it this way it started as post-apocalyptic dystopian mm-hmm. it is now contemporary YA romance with some sci-fi nice. so <laughs> or maybe I guess more fantasy it was sci-fi and then I switched over to magic because I realized I would much prefer it be magic as opposed to sci-fi because of who I am as a person but like that's the transformation this has gone through and I finally finally after years of being like I love this core concept I just can't find the right world to set it in, mm-hmm. I finally actually feel like I got it right. <laughs> nice. So uh, maybe you can tell us for and for the listeners at home how long you've been writing with the idea of submitting. You know, I, I would say that like everybody's been writing, or not everybody. Lots of people have been writing. You know, their whole lives. Yeah. Yeah, because I've definitely, I've definitely been writing since I was a kid, but for actual submission to magazines, I looked it up. My first submission was in 2010 when I was... Oh, that can't have been my... Sorry, I'm saying that, but now I'm like, that seems wrong. But who knows? Again, time is fake. Because I feel like it was actually maybe 2009, and maybe mm-hmm. I just missed recording a submission somewhere. But maybe it really was 2010. Anyway... I know that it was at Alpha because one of the great things about that workshop, and I'm not meaning to like come here and be like, promo Alpha workshop, but I also will promo (laughs) Alpha workshop until I die because it was a transformative writing experience. Um, And I think every teenager who loves writing science fiction fantasy should try to go. One of the things they make a focus on is about submission. It's about teaching you about the market teaching you how to submit right and it's really useful because then I go into college for creative writing and they don't they teach you about submission depending on the program minded but Mm -hmm. not about submitting to genre magazines which is a very different process from submitting to literary like to like lit magazines because Mm -hmm. for one thing you know in the lit world it's they love simultaneous submissions every single one of them do simultaneous submissions and well it takes them like three years to get back to you so exactly but if you did that in the genre world that would be not great (laughs) so it's so alpha is really good for you know they they teach you how to submit and they teach you um how to write cover letters like that's where i got the cover letter template that i use to this day and they they teach you how to research and all this stuff and they kind of encourage you to if you feel ready to Mm -hmm. submit a story while you're at the workshop that's awesome yeah and like you you get to do it like while you're surrounded by like people who are supporting you and all this stuff because especially if it's your first submission it's very very scary Mm -hmm. and they also teach you how to deal with rejection which was super important (laughs) oh yeah but so yeah i submitted my first story in 2009 or 2010 depending on if you believe my memory or my spreadsheet 
Yeah. You should probably believe my spreadsheet. I think I just in my mind assume I submitted a story at my first alpha, but it might have been my second. And that was actually a trunked, a now trunked story that I considered bringing on about like a robot and a human girl who are in love. Nice. Which it was. Well, it, we'll have you back for season two, maybe, and <laughs> you can read that one. It's a very sweet little flash fiction. It was just the sort of thing where, as I grew as a writer, I realized it was also wildly cliche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like definitely, like nothing new, nothing interesting. It was just new and interesting to me because it was the first queer story I wrote because the robot was coded female and. Mm-hmm in love with a human woman. And so that was very exciting to me. Yeah, I I really feel you with the, like, I didn't go to Alpha. I didn't have that experience. But, like, I grew up in a house where, like, my my dad was, like, an associate editor at one of the science fiction magazines that is has come back now, but was gone for, like, 30 years. Wow. Uh, Amazing stories. Yeah. Yeah, back when back when they were edited by George Sithers and owned by TRS, my dad worked for them for a while and like science fiction runs in my blood and so I sort of had that I had that experience with it. Yeah. And so I like I made my first I have my first recorded submission on the grinder from two thousand and six and I feel like Wow. That's maybe accurate or it might have been two thousand and five and you know, I wasn't keeping records super yeah. well then because I was a teenager and assumed that I would just send this story out and sell it immediately. Yeah. But you know, so I, I showed up at college to to enter a creative writing program and I was like, I am hot shit. I know everything there is to know. <laughs> oh my god. Same. And for like a year I was that obnoxious freshman who knew everything. And then I was like there is so much I don't know. I was the same way, after, especially after Alpha, because like I had that like workshop experience, mm-hmm. and so I went into college. Like, listen, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but of course, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah, for real. So one of the things you know, talking about you don't know what you don't know. One of the reasons I ended up starting this show was I was like, you know, this this is the sort of thing I wish that I had had when I was getting started. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you have any anything you wish that you had known, any personal lessons that you'd like to give another baby writer, Sarah, yeah, who is out there now and who, you know, probably isn't listening to this podcast, but whatever. <laughs> you just send it back in time. Have passed you here. I think something I've especially been thinking about lately is that listen when people say you're going to get rejected a bunch and actually believe it. Because here's the thing is that I super have that gifted kid syndrome where people say, oh, well, this is the average experience. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't have the average experience. I am a gifted kid. And so it's... In my mind, it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen is, you know, I'm going to sell immediately. It's This is all going to be great. I'm going to become a superstar. And when that didn't happen, shockingly, mm-hmm. as if that's just not a thing that, like, happens other than once in a blue moon, it was really 
hard for me not to feel like I must have actually just been a huge failure. Even though I had been told over and over and over again, like, no, you're gonna get rejected a lot. That's just... And even though at Alpha, like, one of the things they kind of taught us, like, it's good to get rejected a lot because if you're getting rejected a lot, that means you're submitting a lot. You're still trying. Mm -hmm. You're still writing. You're still trying. Having those rejections pile up is good, actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, like, because of Alpha, I started... I have a binder where I've actually printed out and it holds, like, every rejection I've ever gotten. And it's really, like... It's kind of cool to see it like fill up because I keep because it's it's it is a way to look at it and go you know what I'm still trying I'm still doing this um, and that's awesome it kind it makes me feel kind of like professional to like have all these printed like things in a binder even though like the cover of it is like a I think it's like a mongoose and a bunch of Excellent. like memes from like 2013 <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr memes memes specifically. But I feel like I just really did not internalize that for a while. Mm-hmm. I like people said you'll get rejected, and I thought, oh yeah, I understand that because it's like that. It's that weird, like conflicting thing of like, well, I am a gifted kid, so I understand what you are telling me, but also mm-hmm. I am a gifted kid, so I will not fail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I am experiencing that yet again with querying, even though I have been through this before, and. Even though any more, like, rejection with stories, like, after years of getting rejected, it still, you know, it sucks every time. But mm-hmm. I have, I'm much better than I used, than I, you know, was in the beginning about going, okay, that sucks. What's the next place? Or what's the next step if there isn't the next place? Is the next step editing? Is the next step giving it a breather? You know, whatever. Yeah. But... I am experiencing that gifted kid syndrome thing again with querying, where even though... I have worked with agents (laughs) on multiple occasions. I know how the querying process works. I know that it takes a long time. I know that you have to be patient and all this stuff. And I, like, it's been two months since I sent out a query letter. Mm -hmm. And I'm on track. I'm still like, well, but that's the problem. I'm on track. And (sighs) I am supposed to be accelerated. (laughs) So therefore, because I am not doing perfectly and not somehow already a New York Times bestseller, I have failed. How dare. And I kind of like, I kind of wish that maybe young Sarah could have actually believed people when they said, you're going to get rejected and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Because maybe I'd be a little, I feel like I'm pretty far along in the process, but maybe I'd be a little farther along in the process than I am now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is a big truth and I think it's something... We're seeing a lot of people trying to demystify that mm-hmm. on Twitter. Like, I mean, Twitter Twitter is where I experience fandom for the most part. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like John Wiswell is always posting about his submission status and like, here are how many stories I, re- I wrote, here are many, how many things I sent in, here are how many rejections I got. Yeah. And like, I do that myself too, because I'm like... Yeah, I I needed to hear that, you know. I think it is I think it is really important because most often you just hear about the acceptances and that makes it feel like that's all there is. Everyone else yeah. is only getting acceptances. You're the only person who's getting rejected. Yeah. When it's actually just that no, they probably have lots of rejections too, but most people don't post about it. Most yeah. people don't talk about that. They they which is I mean, understandable. Yeah. And obviously... It, it's kind of like airing your dirty laundry in a way. 
Yeah. And, like, obviously it's also just way more exciting to talk about your acceptances. Mm-hmm. I say as if I've had more than, like, two things. Right. I have a weird habit of acting like the essays I've had published aren't real, and I don't know why. I mean... I get that. Like, I totally get that. Like, I had a super awkward thing happen earlier when everyone was talking about, um, like, at the beginning of the year, end of the year, talking about all mm-hmm. the things they had done and everything and all the stuff they had published. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really publish anything. And the editor I worked with on the essay I wrote for the <laughs> Huffington Post was like, well, you wrote a pretty great essay for the, uh, for the, the Huffington Post. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I forgot. <laughs> because there's like I and even though I'm like super super proud of that there's this part of my brain that is like if it's not fiction it mm-hmm. didn't count. Yeah. Like I have like I have like a poetry out and I have essays out and all of that but there's something about my brain that goes if it's not fiction which is just like I guess maybe because it is my true path. Mhm. It doesn't feel like it actually it actually counts. And I need to probably stop that because I know in my head, I'm like, oh, I haven't published a story since Crow's Eye. And so therefore, I'm a failure. (sighs) Even though I have published since Crow's Eye, it just hasn't been fiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The brain is wild. I feel like writer brain, I mean, brains in general, but writer brains especially are always finding ways to just be mean. They're so rude. They're always like, every time you meet a goal, they immediately go... Okay, but you haven't met the next one, so... Uh What are you really doing? Exactly. Exactly. That is is something else I would like young Sarah to learn about, is that you can celebrate everything. Like, every time you accomplish something, take a moment to actually be like, holy shit, I did this thing. Because basically every step you make past writing your first word is going to be more than someone else did. Mm-hmm. Like, I know when I was working on my revisions, um, I felt like I was so behind and I felt like I was doing nothing. And then I had friends who were talking to me like, you finished a draft of a book. I've never yeah. done that. <laughs> and it's so wild how even now my brain can't really accept that as an accomplishment. Because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, I finished a draft of a book, but what's next? Yeah. And I think it's much healthier if we actually spend time going, holy shit, I did this. Yeah, for sure. So this seems like a good time to ask you if you have anything you'd like to promo. Oh, yeah. Well, I have my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Sarah Hollowell. That is Sarah with an H. Yes, that is important. (laughs) Um, And that... no substitutes. No. And... On my Patreon, you can become a patron at $1 a month, and I post I post a short story, flash fiction, every month. I am doing an ongoing kind of serialized choose-your-own-adventure Hoosier gothic thing. It's super cool. <laughs> there are also cat pictures. There is so... I post cat... Well, lately I've been doing cat videos... Because I thought my patrons deserve that. I post about the books I've been reading and the movies I've been watching. um, All, like, patron-exclusive stuff. And I post cooking videos, which is kind of out of the blue, but a lot of fun to make. They're also (laughs) great. They're a lot of fun to make. So that's my Patreon. And then I also recently started doing a 
series with Frolic, which is frolic.media. I am watching Pretty Little Liars for the first time and writing about that experience and kind of trying to dissect this show that moves very, very quickly and has a lot of plot lines happening at once and trying to dissect it into pieces where people can follow it. <laughs> and Listeners, uh, I have no interest in Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> I have never... I, I knew it was a show, and that's about all I knew, and I am eagerly awaiting the next installment of, uh, this it's... essay series is called Letters from A, or Texts from A. Yeah, Texts from A, and it is, honestly, I am so, so happy that I'm doing it, because it is reminding me that writing is a lot of fun. <laughs> um Writing Reading pieces. it is also a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad. That's kind of my goal. I'm wanting people to have fun reading it. Um, and that comes out every other Friday on Frolic. Excellent. So I think that's uh, most of what I have to promote. <laughs> uh, as I as we mentioned earlier, you can find Crow's Eye over on Fireside Fiction. And uh, what was the poem that you have out in Apex and in Cicada? Yeah, it's Hello, Wild Things and Good Luck. I'm I'm like not a poetry person particularly. I envy poetry because it there's so much economy of feeling in so few words and I love this poem to death. Check it out wherever you can find it. It'll be linked in the show notes. Sarah Hollowell can be found on Twitter at, at Sarah Hollowell. That is Sarah with an H. That is Michael with a B. <laughs> there's a B. The B where? I'm glad that I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I miss Vine. I've been watching a lot of Vine compilations on YouTube. Me too. Because. Because. Because Vine was a beautiful thing taken from us too soon. Yeah. So, listeners, thank you so much for joining us again. Sarah Hollowell, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for it's having been me. A ton of fun, and I look forward to bringing you back on in season two when hopefully we'll have funding to have episodes where our guests embarrass themselves. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I have so many things I can embarrass myself with. I am pretty sure that somewhere I do still have access to the books I was writing when I was like eight that oh, good. all starred black haired orphans with violet eyes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, <laughs> listeners, look forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Join us again next month on May 17th, when our guest will be Robin Duncan. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. Patrons of the show get access to show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject.